Well, good morning, everyone. I'm really grateful and honored and humbled to be here this morning. Um, and just uh, thrilled with where the Lord has led us this morning so far. Just awesome worship, and we just thank you. Uh, um, for coming, and although I've never actually done this before, <laughs> um, I feel confident that God has a word for 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 us, and I know that. Um, well, first thing I'm going to do is just go into prayer. And Father, uh, we're just grateful right now for this time together. And we just pray that you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word and that we hear your word and respond. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So today, I would like to talk about um, basically where we are in time. There's a prophetic time clock going on and we're in a certain place in that time clock. And before I do that though, I just wanna kind of just, before I start with where we are in time, I'm gonna give us a different perspective of time. So um, if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. Uh, verse 1. And I'll just say um, quickly that um, I, want, I want us all to have the perspective of the Bereans in the book of Acts who received openly, with an open mind, um, everything that was taught. But then they spent all their time searching in the word for the truth and seeing what was true. So I don't want you to hear today what I say and say, well, Steve said this. I want you to hear what God says and, and search it out for yourselves to know the truth. Um, and then secondly, I just want to say that in regard to the Bible, the Bible is an integrated message from God. And it proves the authenticity of the author that's outside the dimension of time. Amen. And the way he does that continuously is through his prophecies throughout the book. They tell the future of what is going to happen and it happens exactly like it says it would. And a lot of that hasn't happened yet. And that's what we're gonna talk about today in terms of the things that are to happen. But before we do, well, let's start at the beginning of the book. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. And that really is quite an astounding statement because if you think of everything that was created, everything, the, the whole creation, the universe, the heavens, the angels, all of that is just in that simple phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you think about it, it's also the creation, the stop, start point of time. We don't think of time much as creation because it's, we take it for granted. It's like the air we breathe. It's happening whether we are aware of it or not. It's happening. We're breathing. We're, our hearts are beating. You know, it's kind of an automatic thing. But I want you to keep in mind that it is time that is one of God's primary creations. And when we talk about time, we're talking about God's creation. Let's continue on with verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, 
and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. <clears throat> and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. It's a pretty busy day. He's basically saying here that in the first day, everything in the universe was created, including the whole angelic realm. And then as we're talking about Earth, he's a bit more specific on these six days of creation. But what I want to point out to you is that light was the second thing that he created. And time and light are the essence of the mystery of God. We talk about science. We talk about, um, well, let's talk about science for a minute. You know, one of the, um, if we talk about man as the center of creation, and we talk about things that are bigger than us and things that are smaller than us. If we go out on the macro, out into the stars, out into the space, out into the universe, one of the most interesting discoveries of the 20th century was that there is a limit to the size of the universe. We know that there's a limit to it. They've measured it. They say it's 13.7 billion light years. That's how big it is. But let's just say that's how big it is. But, um, but what that tells us, that has brought together man's idea that, I mean, this has driven incredible science to, to figure out, well, if that's what the size, the end of it is, how where did it start? What's the Big Bang? You know, when did that Big Bang occur? The Big Bang theory, all of that science, mathematics, all of those strivings to understand have been part of the effort of the 20th century. And on the small side, as we go down farther and farther, we also find that there's a limit. You think that if you could take a piece of string, let's say, and cut it in half, and then cut that piece in half, and then cut that piece in half, and cut that piece in half. But you could do that indefinitely, theoretically, until, you know, just endlessly. But no, it turns out there's a limit. There's a limit to smallness. It's about 10 to the minus 32nd centimeters, which if you get below that length, you lose something that's called locality, which means that that particle is no longer existing in our space-time. Well, that's kind of a weird word, space-time. But one of the discoveries of the 20th century, Einstein um, discovered this in his um, theories of relativity. Um, <coughs> And this involved um, probably some interesting mathematics, which were invented not f far before him in terms of metric tensors and Maxwell's equations. But what he did was apply Planck's constants and used metric tensors to discover or to apply a fourth dimension, a fourth dimension in our three-dimensional world. And what that did was use time as a dimension. And once we use time as a dimension, we start to realize that we are inside of time, but there's a dimension outside of time. It turns out that everything that we can measure, mass, time, length, distance, all these things, they have a small limit a smallness limit, a finite limit. And this is basically the study of quantum physics, of the things, particles, subatomic particles, smallness, things that 
And of course, this was first introduced to us by studying light, because light itself has these amazing properties where, you know, speaking of locality, we don't necessarily understand whether it's actually in our physical, physical world as a particle or if it's actually outside of our dimensions in terms of waves, electromagnetic waves specifically. But <clears throat> in terms of dimensions, we continuously try to understand things that are outside of our dimensions. We know God must be outside of our dimension. He's outside the dimension of time. We know that because of the Bible. And we have our, you know, we have our, there was a man named Machnomenes in the 13th century who wrote in 1274 an interesting theory that there were at least 10 dimensions Four of them could be directly observable, and six of them would be indirectly um, deferrable. Now, he derived that from reading what we just read in Genesis 1. He completed the whole chapter, but still, it wasn't until the 20th century, until in the 90s, actually, that we have now confirmed in terms of science that there are at least 10 dimensions that we know about. But it's interesting that a, a man could drive that directly from the Bible. And so like I said, the reason that we're starting here is to understand, um, one, that the Bible is completely, the Bible is itself the authentic, authentication of its author being outside of the dimension of time. Um, if you could put up the, the visual, there we go. And so I kind of wanted to give you an un understanding of what it's like to be outside the dimension of time. If you were outside the dimension of time and you were looking at God's creation, you would just see the Bible complete. It's hard to imagine, you know, as I'm talking here, trying to imagine what it's like to be outside the dimension of time. So let me just give you a little illustration to kind of help. If you were looking at a piece of paper with a picture on it, a two-dimensional piece of paper, um, and from your three-dimensional perspective, you, you know, you would have, if that person was alive, that picture you were looking at, you would have quite an advantage over them looking at them from three dimensions because to them, as you would point your finger at them, all they would see is a circle. And at the same time, you could be around them from all sides and, and enjoy that perspective of them where they would only see this thing coming in and out of their field of view. Or more in terms of time or dimensionality, if you can imagine a parade, you know, Glory Church was in a parade this summer in Hudson, Wisconsin, and um, that was a lot of fun. And um, so there was a place where the parade started. We all were there busy blowing up balloons and decorating the floats. And then there was this long, um, you know, down the parade route where everybody lined up and then everybody uh, went down the parade route. And, you know, thousands and thousands of people were standing on the sides, sitting on the sides of the streets. And uh, then eventually you got to the end of the parade. And um, so if you can imagine, that's kind of like, kind of imagine what that would be like in terms of um, the time of like the whole creation from beginning to start. And if you were in a helicopter, you could see it all at once. You could see the place where they staged it and where everybody was lining up. And you could see the whole route and people parade going in progress. And you could see all the people standing on the sides and at the end of the parade where everybody's like tearing down their floats and all that. You could see that all at once if you were up high enough in a helicopter. And that's kind of like where I want to take you right now, outside in the dimension of time. 
So if you were looking at time in terms of the Bible, you would see that from the very beginning of, of God's creation to the very end, you know, just as God himself, Jesus said, on Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end. So we know what the beginning is. There's also an end of time. The end of time is right at the end of the Bible. If you read it in chapter 20 of the uh, book of Revelation, right after the great white throne judgment, God completely eliminates, destroys time. He destroys the whole creation. The whole creation is... Well, how does he do that? You know, I don't know. But maybe, maybe I do know. I think, you know, what we were, what we were just talking about in the very beginning of time, uh, about smallness, about going so small that you lose locality, you lose space-time. Well, it turns out that time is an integral part of every particle in God's creation. If it doesn't have that component of time, it doesn't exist in our reality. So at any time, if God would just eliminate time, then the whole creation would be cease to exist. Think about that. That's just amazing. So at the end of time, it's not quite a, a very big stretch of how he eliminates time, how he ends time. And it's hard to imagine being in eternity where there is no time because, because you know, it's like I said, it's something we take for granted. It's like breathing, you know, it's just like, it's hard to imagine. You know, it's like I was talking with somebody the other day, we were talking about something like learning to play the guitar. And he said, well, I guess when I get to heaven in eternity, I'll have lots of time to practice the guitar. And I kind of thought, well, will you? What, you know, what's your you know, concept of time? If you're outside the dimension of time, time is not linear. Time doesn't just, you know, time is something inside of God's creation. You're looking at it. I mean, we won't, we'll know more when we get there, of course. Uh, I'm just trying to describe it from, from my mind, you know, trying to understand uh, where, where it comes from. But I want to look at this creation. So we're in the very, uh, you can see on the left, the alpha, the very beginning of time, and at the very end, omega. And then I put this little marker there. It says, you are here. And, and if you can imagine, we're sitting in this room trying to imagine what it's like to be outside the dimension of time. So we're sitting there waving, and we're looking at ourselves inside the dimension of time, trying to imagine what it's like to be outside the dimension of time. And there we are. And so it's, uh, it's an interesting perspective. So from that perspective, there's a reason why God knows and God's book authenticates that he's outside the dimension of time because everything that's going to happen, everything that has happened in the past, happened in the future, has already happened. It's already happened. Einstein, I think, put it best. He said, you know, for those of us who are familiar with physics, understand that past, present, and future are really just the stubborn, persistent illusion. And when you think about God's, I was, as we were doing communion, I couldn't help but think about all of God's, the things about salvation, the things about healing, like salvation itself. Um, you know, we're in a Bible study right now in a uh, small group, and although I haven't been with one uh, in one of the sessions yet, um, we're in the book of Hebrews. But I tell you what, I couldn't get past the first book, the first, the last, the last uh, cha chapter one, verse 14, um, where it's, 
it says that you know we are going to salvation we are in salvation and you know describing Christ and salvation and you can't help but understand that salvation has a past present and future component to it one we were saved we are justified that's in the past hopefully we've all come to that place but once you're justified that's a point in time where where your salvation is secured that's it got it's in God's hand and he says he's not letting go and no one ever can take you from it and that's in the past but in our present time right now we're in sanctification we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit when you got born again I know from my own experience, you know, my flesh, my mind, my thinking was not much different than it was five minutes ago when I got born again. And it's taken a long, 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 long time of sanctification <laughs> to only get where I am now. And, and, and to be honest, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a work in progress. It's a sanctification and we won't, we won't be perfect. We're, we're not perfect in, in the physical, but it's, it's, the, it's our current state. It's our present state. But what's the final state? It's one where gl the glorification. So we've got the past, the, the justification, the present, the sanctification, the future state, the glorification. Well, when will that happen? When will that happen? When will we have glorification? What happened to the graphic? There it is. It's just about where we're at right now. When the rapture occurs, when the rapture occurs, we will all be met with Christ in the air. And we will be changed. We will be changed. And... You know, one of the interesting aspects of that changing, the Bible says in um, 1 Thessalonians, um, no, Oh, before I go there, let me just kind of back up a little. You know, the extra dimensions that we've talked about so far have given us some insight into time. But there are so many other dimensions. Ten probably doesn't even start to explain how many dimensions there are in the spirit, how many dimensions there are in, in, in the unseen realm. Uh, things are coming and going. Some things we have no no real understanding about. But you know, it's uh, we we look. One of the interesting um, revelations about understanding smallness is that we start to understand that if everything has a small limit, then that really means our perception of our reality what we have, what we call this physical world, is really digital. Meaning, if it's either on or off, a one or a zero, it means it can be turned off and on, just like that. Um, probably one of the more interesting thoughts of the 20th century um, was published in Scientific America in um, 2005 in the June edition where it states basically that um, our reality as we know it is really just a shadow of a greater reality and that's like well that's pretty much what the Bible says yep thank you um, but even more than that Stephen Hawkins in his group as they were trying to analyze the a yellow star drifting into a black hole and balance the energy equation. Um, they were just perplexed 
And they finally came out with a statement that said that the whole entire universe may be a, hologra a sophisticated holographic projection of, from a more sophisticated intelligence. That's a pretty profound thing. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah that the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. Well, if it has a few more dimensions of, of um, a few more layers of dimensionality, you can imagine a layer of thinness where we could fold it and roll it, if it is such a thing as a, I guess I say that just to help us kind of step away from our normal perspective of how we see things. You know, we, we say things are, are real here on earth. We, we live in the real world and don't, don't try to mistake that I don't believe we're living in a real world. We are living in a real world, but there's, a re, there's something that is more real than this world. And that's God's world, God, the heaven, the, you know, in, in the spirit, in the realm, the kingdom of heaven, there is a greater reality. There is a much greater reality. When we talk about salvation being having a past, present, and future tense, healing has a past. You know, we say, by his stripes we were healed. That was in the past. What about right now? What, what, am I healed right now? I was healed in the past, but look, my body is not necessarily cooperating with that statement. You know, it's, it's, it's something that we are being sanctified. We are being healed. We are receiving that healing. It's, it's a matter of understanding a greater reality than ourselves, than the physical world we live in, than what our eyes can actually perceive. What our body tells us, the feelings that we have, what is real? I remember <laughs> there used to be this preacher that would come to uh, our church, Living Word, when he used to go there. His name was Dwight Thompson, and his father was a preacher, and, and Dwight and his brother were kids, you know, li listening to him, but he had this perception of this greater reality. And when he would start preaching, he would get to the point where he would say, God is more real than my right hand. You know, if you can imagine just abandoning every type of physical sense that you have, even what your mind is telling you, and just putting all your faith in what God says and what God is, and what the reality of God, you, you would come to a point where no matter what, you, you could believe that healing. You know, and it's not, it's not out of our grasp at all. It is not. But it's a matter of understanding that what we see and hear right now is not the greater reality. What we what we know, what we understand, our communion, our communication with our God through his word, that is the greater reality. So I wanted to get us up to the point um, where we understand that. And, um, you know, in the book of Matthew, in the 17th and the 5th verse, in the 17th chapter, or 17th verse, it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. This is Jesus telling us that this word is more real than anything else in this world. And, you know, there's... It's like, well, this, this is the New King James Bible. It's, it's an interpretation. It's a translation of the original text. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a translation, which translation we use, which... Uh, it's, 
it, but it is the original text that, that matters. And it is what God's word is. And God, God's word is solid and does not change. And it goes from the beginning to the end. And it is the whole creation. The whole entire creation is in God's word from beginning to end. And so I'm telling you this because <clears throat> I know in the book of Revelation, if we would walk through the book of Revelation, and not everybody likes to talk about the book of Revelation, and there's a lot, and you know, in a lot of ways, it is the answer. If you want to know what's going to happen, where, what's happening next, where we're going next, it's in the book of Revelation. But guess what? It's also in the whole entire rest of the Bible. There's not a place in the book of Revelation that you can't find somewhere else in the Bible. Do you know there's over 4,000 references in the book of Revelation to other places in the Bible? It's not unique. It's not unique in that way that, <clears throat> that, um, that it's just kind of like this book out there all by itself where it's like, whoa, that's weird stuff. No, it's not weird stuff. But I don't want to really talk about things beyond. But I will go right to the edge of, you know, the key to the book of Revelation is in chapter 1, verse 19, where John's instructed to write the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will be. It's kind of the key to the, um, key to the entire book of the Bible. Here I'm going to turn my volume off because I hear angelic sounds coming out of it. <laughs> But the book of Revelation is, is um, you know, um, so the things that are, the things that are and the things that is where we're at right now. We're in the present. And, and, and Jesus is talking about, you know, in the end, near the book of um, the chapter 3, um, right at the end of the, Um, right at the end of where we're at. And he's talking to the church and he's saying, um, well, let's just turn there quick. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And this is... Um, and this is going to be the verse just before the rapture. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I'll dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, and um, there's, a, there's a reoccurring message here in all of these books to the churches. There's seven churches, seven letters to each, each church. But the common, the common thread that we hear from each one of them is that we need to be the overcomer. We need to be the partaker. We need to be... We need to be the ones that are partaking of, of this. It's not just receiving salvation because there's another, there's a whole nother, we're not outside the dimension of time once the rapture occurs. We're glorified and glorified bodies, but you know, at that point that we're raptured, we're going to go, the first thing that's going to happen after we're raptured is we're going to have the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ is not a matter of salvation, but it's a reward. It's a reward for all the things that we have done on this earth. It's a test, it's a judgment of fire where everything that'll be burned up, our whole life will be on display and everything will be burned that's not of God. And whatever's left of the things that we've done 
in God, we, that will be our reward. And so in eternity, or not in eternity, I'm talking, uh, yeah, this is kind of disjointed, but I want to make you understand that the next event after the rapture is not outside, it's not eternity. I mean, we will be with the Lord forever from that point on, but there's more to come inside of time. And we have the millennium. Yes, there's a thousand years of peace that's prescribed. And, you know, we, a lot of us don't really think much about that. You know, it is a book, a, a verse in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. It only says that once, you know, a thousand years of peace, and it d describes it. But what I think um, most of the church doesn't understand is that there is more prophecy about that time period than any other time period in all of creation. Because what it's really describing is the same period of time that the Jews were waiting for when Jesus came, the same period of time that um, is prophesied by Isaiah. It's prophesied from the beginning of time, or from the beginning of creation in chapter 3 of Genesis, all the way through. And it is the Davidic covenant, the time that Jesus rules and reigns that God takes his enemies and makes a footstool for them. He is set up in the kingdom of God on earth for a thousand years. That's, and that's the final segment of time. And a lot of us don't really um, grasp that. And I, I think that the book of Hebrews is probably one of the first times I ever grasped it myself. As Chris and I were studying it, not long ago, it became more of a revelation to us. And um, I'm, th I'm grateful that uh, Pastor Adam has assigned us this fantastic book of Hebrews because this, um, this revelation is, is fantastic to understand that most of what we're talking about, we just kind of read over it, kind of like time. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, when, when, when Christ comes to rule and reign, that's what the Jews were waiting for. That's what they were waiting for. Well, that is a significant point in time when that happens. You know, it's, it's amazing how um, the Christ, the prophecies of Christ in the book of Daniel, he showed up, the Messiah showed up on the very day that it was prophesied he would show up. From the building of the temple, the second temple, to the point where he entered Jerusalem was exactly described in days. He showed up on that day. And it's, a, um, you know, and, and you kind of go, well, this whole Bible, you know, looking at it from outside the dimension of time, what, you know, what's the purpose of it all? Really, what is, well, you know, he's created man He's got man, and you can see from the very beginning all the way through, you know, everyone, I think we all understand from prophecy that the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. And, but at this point where Jesus enters Jerusalem, the entire um, purpose of history is revealed. Where Jesus, he enters it, and like I said, prophesied by Daniel, give it to him by Gabriel. And he looks, um, you know, in Matthew 23, in verse 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you children together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You know, they... They missed, they missed it. That's the tragedy of all history, really. In terms of that, the Jews were blind. And he goes on to tell them they'll be blind for until the fullness of the Gentiles. And the triumph of all history is that day when the Jews 
come to the revelation that who the Messiah is. And that triggers the greatest event of the final chapter, which is the second coming of Christ. When the Jews say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, come Lord Jesus, that's the second coming of Christ. That's when he comes. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen until the end of the tribulation. But every Jew will be saved. All of Israel will be saved at that point. And there's a lot of information on all of those steps that are in the book of Revelation. But I'd rather focus more on our purpose here because every one of us will be on that rapture. We won't be here for the book of Revelation or the book of we won't be here for the tribulation, the time of tribulation, because we'll be in heaven in our three-part salvation of glorification. We'll be at the, we'll be late, we'll be receiving our rewards. We'll be at the marriage, supper of the Lamb. Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Does that sound right? <laughs> yeah. And so, understanding that, um, if you could put the graphic back up, I just want to understand, you know, one of the interesting parts, uh, one of the interesting things that has always fascinated me you know, God tells us in Ephesians 1, in verse 4, that he chose us before the foundation of the world. And that we should be holy and blameless before him. And like I was saying, the purpose of all history is to gather all of his children in Christ. That's the purpose of all history, the purpose of the whole entire Bible, the purpose of everything that Christ has done for us to, 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 you know, our salvation through him, through what he did on the cross, through the resurrection of it, to make a way, to make the only way, the narrow way. It's the only way. But that is the purpose of all history, all creation, all time, is to gather everything that is to be gathered in Christ. And now, you know, as that clock is ticking, and we wonder, how close are we to that end? I think it's time, you know, we can look, we can certainly say, and people have always said, well, you know, when I was a kid, we went to this church, and they were always saying, you know, any minute now, any minute now, Christ is coming any minute now. Or, you know, I heard an interesting analogy yesterday or this email apparently that's going around saying if you were born in 1900 and, you know, by the time you were 15, you were in World War I, and then by the time you were, you know, 40 years old, you were in World War II, and in that meantime, you know, you're, battle, you're, you're battling um, smallpox um, and uh, polio, major pandemics, killing hundreds of millions of people, World War I, World War II. You would think you're in the end times. You're in the last days. These things are horrific. Probably rightly so. I know I probably would be in those, in those thoughts. But I, you know, I want us to look at some, some things that are different now. And um, so if we could turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we can see here Paul, or Paul talking to, to young Timothy about the last days. How will we identify the last days? And it says, um, starting in verse 1, But know this, that in the last days 
perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You know, I don't think there's ever been a time in history that more accurately describes our society. And what he's describing here is not necessarily the world out there, although that fits pretty well. But this is actually talking about inside the church. Inside the church. You know, not this church, thankfully. <laughs> but I'd be, I'd be amiss to say that none of us have ever had one of these thoughts or one of these attributes. But, you know, thankfully we're under the blood of Christ. We're redeemed. We can repent. But this is a sad, sad commentary, snapshot of time. And if you look around, it's a pretty accurate snapshot. The thing that kind of gets me the most is the, the verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You know, there are, there are so many people out there, voices out there, saying that, you know, hey, this book, you know, it's, it's a good book, but, you know, it's really just a bunch of allegories. It's really just not, it's not, it's, it's fictional. You know, was there really a guy named Jesus? Well, you know, we can base our, our morals and some, you know, uh, some, some good thoughts coming from this, but, you know, there's, there's not a heaven, there's not a hell, there's not a, you know, there's not an end of time, there's not a rapture, there's not, you know, all of these things that come into play that take away the whole power of Jesus on the cross, the whole purpose of the book, to gather us in Christ. Um, and so that's kind of a character test. You know, and then the second part of it is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can turn there quick. Verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Again, you know, this is just basically what I was just mentioning. You know, there are so many deceptive spirits out there telling us, you know, these are, there is a great falling away from the faith. The Bible calls it an apostate. You know, a lot of us are looking for a great end time revival and it's a wonderful wonderful idea and i i know there is such a thing to occur but the greater symptom of it is really the opposite it's the falling away of the faith people you know who are raised in the church kind of just fading away just kind of like going with the flow you know and I think, I think we've seen a pretty significant turn of that in the last three years specifically. And I'm sure it's by design. I'm sure the pandemic, uh, you know, just think of it, there was shut down, people stopped going to church. You know, there was, there was a time when, you know, it was starting to be pretty comfortable just to sit at home and uh, watch the internet and, uh, you know, well, Praise God for technology. Uh, we, you know, there's some good uses for it. There's certainly evil uses for it, but there's good uses for it. But you can see that that 
in itself was the great start of the fading away, just the falling away. Um, and then lawlessness, Second Thessalonians 5, 8. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses five and eight. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you those things? And now you know what is, rest what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. There is a great force of lawlessness that's coming upon us like a tidal wave right now. Lawlessness in every moral aspect of what the Bible says. What's good is evil, what's evil is good. You know, we, we've, ha we've seen since that pandemic we were just talking about a, a total shift in law where we don't, you know, I mean, with, with all of the different, um, well, let's just say lawlessness is prevailing. From what I understand, it's not even, I mean, in America, we're probably not really sensing the whole grasp of it. Parts of the world, especially like in South Africa, uh, they have a much better grasp of lawlessness than we do right now. Um, but the final, the final verse I want to show you is Second Peter chapter three, verses one through seven. And this is really related to scoffers. So when you see, you know, we're talking about why do we think Jesus is coming? Why do we think the rapture is any second? I don't know. Have you heard any scoffers lately saying that can't be possible? Yep. Well, let's just see here. Beloved, I write you the second epistle on both. I want to stir you up pure minds by the way of remembering that you may be mindful of the words that were spoken before the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is that promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they will willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world then existed, perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This is, this is exactly where we're at. Now, I know it seems, you know, I know when I was younger and I heard um, that Jesus was coming soon, I know I thought, well, maybe if I had more time, I could do this, do that with my life. So I wasn't really grasping, desiring necessarily that he comes soon. And I thought maybe at the time too, I thought, well, this is an evil day we live in. I, I can't compare anything more evil than when we live in now. I mean, it has just gotten progressively 
progressively more evil than any time in history. But I, I want you to know that God has foreseen every question about it and given us great guidance here that we can know for sure with confidence that we are at the door. We are at, at the very door. I'd like to say that there's uh, I'd like to say that there's time to do all kinds of things, you know, to change the world, to make it better, to, you know, get out there and, you know, do all kinds of worthy causes. I think right now the only the only thing that really matters is that you share your light with others. With everyone you can. The time is so short. The time is so short. We need to save as many as we can. By sharing the love of God everywhere you are, let your light shine. Don't be afraid. Don't think that people will, will, will scoff at you. They may. They may scoff at you. But that, that really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I... I um, I just want you to be encouraged to know that <laughs> this is the best. This, you know, this is, to me, is such a privilege and an honor to be chosen to live in these very days, to be the ones who see Christ coming, to be there, to be part of the rapture, to be part of those who are taken up you know, I mean, yes, I may be wrong. I may live to an old age and die, and and um, it, and and all of this will be like like it's been heard before. But I I feel in my spirit, I sense in my spirit, the eminent time of Christ is right now. And I don't want to talk about the Book of Revelation in past that point, chapter 4, verse 1, where it talks about the rapture. But there is a, a whole other aspect of tribulation coming, an antichrist, you know, the beast, the mark, all of these things driven by technology um, that are other signs that, you know, this whole tribulation thing, everything that's mentioned in the Bible can actually be quite um, it, the road is paved for it, you know. I mean, um, I just want to leave you with a, a thought. And that is basically... Like I said, the, the events are forming right before our eyes in every aspect. Technology is great. And if it's used for great causes, we are witnessing the rise of digital currency, artificial intelligence, social media, platforms, electric cars that are all, you know, they're being used above to bring you and me to another place. Everything in technology can be used for good. I mean, just take the internet, for example. God's word is preached like never before through the internet. But yet it has a lot of evil functions to it as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of evil. But these, you know, there's, there are things happening. You know, there, the World Economic Forum met in Davos, Switzerland last week. Um, and they are forming the entrance of the Antichrist. That is exactly their purpose. The ever-changing world leaves us with an unchanging mission to preach the gospel and rejoice in the Lord as we do so. And in the last days, prayerfully consider to choose your battles. Choose your battles wisely. 
time is so short. In everything you see, try to find opportunities to share him and make him known. We won't stop the soon rise of the Antichrist. We won't stop the global effort for a one world government or an economy or a one world religious system. But what we can do is offer people the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whatever we wake, whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together in Him and find comfort in each other and, and edify one another, just as you are also doing. First Thessalonians 5. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you doing. So I just want to thank you. Um, and I want to leave you with the Arianic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.